Folks, what I want you to do right now is I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. We've been going through this letter to the Thessalonians, and we're up to verses 1 and 2 today, and we've really been talking about how do we live, how do we find peace in the coming storm. And, and really, to be honest with you, it seems like that's what's happening around us. There's, there's all this uncertainty. And, and I think as believers, we recognize that. We wonder, is the, are these the times? Are these the times? And so we've been talking about having peace in the coming storm. So through the first three chapters, we've, we've kind of looked at Paul's, de, Paul's concern for the Thessalonians and the actions that he took and how he prayed. And, and we learned a lot about what we should be holding on to, what we should be praying for, and uh, you know what we should be having our faith in. But now we're going to get to chapter 4 and also chapter 5 over the next couple of weeks, few weeks, and we're going to talk about how we should be living in the midst of this coming storm to live lives that really bring that peace. And today we're going to talk about living to please God, living to please Him. And I, and I think that is so, so important. So what I want to do right now is I want to talk about the reality as we talk about living our lives. I really want to talk about the fact that you and I have, if we would be honest with ourselves, this is true for me, really a misguided focus. Our focus can be so misguided. Why? Well, I, I hate to say it, some of it has to do with really our church culture here in North America. Whether we like it or not, sometimes the church culture can really distract us from what we really need to be focusing on and really give us a misguided focus. And I think that's really true with what's going on here. So what I want you to notice is a couple of things. First of all, we confuse God's plan for ourselves with earthly pursuits. We confuse God's plan for ourselves with earthly pursuits. What do you mean by that, George? Well, you know, sometimes, I, you know, I think about it, you know, back in 1985, I came to know Jesus as my Savior. I recognized who he was. I gave my life to him. I th told him I would follow him. And, and I went to church. And there was a lot of wonderful things about that church. I, those were some great years for me. Those first two years before I ended up going off to school in Lynchburg, I, I really cherished that time with that church family. And I learned a lot of things there. And, but I'll be honest with you. I, I, while I learned a lot of things, there were a lot of things I didn't learn that were really important. Well, I thought that I learned how to live a life that was pleasing to God, but really there wasn't that much instruction in that. So you kind of had to figure it out on your own. And so what happens is, and I know it's happened in my life, it happens probably in your life. It happens in general in Christianity because we've got this subtle form of prosperity theology going around that really everybody's kind of embraced 
in North America, and that is that God wants to bless you. God wants you to do well. So then your dreams and your plans, well, that's got to be God's will. And so we confuse what God's plan for us is with our earthly pursuits. Well, it's because I want to achieve this for my family or I want to achieve this for my career goal. That's a big one, I know, because that's where I was for a long time, wanting to achieve certain things as a pastor. And, and we confuse God's plan for earthly pursuits. I've since figured out that God's really not really concerned with what I achieve in this world. He's more concerned about my faithfulness in doing what he told me to do. That will humble you. So the, really the first thing I want you to see here is that we confuse God's plan for ourselves with earthly pursuits. Now, there's a result when we do this, and I know this result is true for me, and I'm sure it's true for you as well if you think about it. This results in confusion and despair when difficulties arise. This results in confusion and despair when difficulties arise. Because here's what happens. When you and I, you know, we get to this place where we think that our earthly plans and our earthly things that we want to achieve, really that's God's plan for us, for somehow we've spiritualized it, and we think that as we're trying to move and achieve this thing, that that's what God wants for our lives. And so what happens is, is that, well, we live in the real world. And when you live in the real world, things don't go the way you think they're supposed to go, even if you think that God's made you a promise. Think about David for a moment. We've been talking about that in the adult Sunday school time. David, you know, anointed as a teenager, probably confronts Goliath at 17. He doesn't become king until he's 30. And in that time between, lots of heartache, lots of difficulty, lots of fear. And what happens is, is when you and I adopt a mentality that, that God's plan for us is somehow the same as our earthly pursuits, Life throws everything at us and we don't achieve, so somehow we, we get confused, we get, we get despondent, we get really upset, and, and what usually happens is, is we get mad with God. Well, I thought you wanted this for me, when in reality it was we wanted it for ourselves, and we just thought that God wanted it with us. Well, I'll, I'll be honest with you, God's more concerned about who you are than what you achieve and, and gain in this world. I know some people don't like to say that. We don't like to believe that, but that's true. He's more interested in you for who you are and what he's molding you to be. Because I think if you think about it for a moment, we can't take anything from here with us. I mean, just read Philippians chapter 3. Paul, Paul achieved everything in Judaism, but he said, I count that all as rubbish. 
except for the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ. So we've had a misguided focus. Now, this is the wonderful thing about God's word is, okay, so we've got this misguided focus. We've, we want to get right back on the right track again, and I'm hoping that that's what you want to do. I'm hoping you want to get back on the right track. I'm hoping, like me, you want to live a life that is pleasing to God. Now, we don't even talk about like things like that anymore, living a life that's pleasing to God. I mean, usually what we hear is, just do whatever, know that Jesus loves you. Well, that's a half-truth. Yes, Jesus does love you, but he's called you to something else. Remember from our verse in Ephesians that we have for this week? Did you walk worthy of your calling to which you are called? He says, that's just walking worthy of salvation. No, no, you were saved to live the life that God wants you to live, to live for him. So that's what we're going to talk about today from these two verses. These two verses actually open up what we're going to be talking about from here on out. And I'll explain that in a few minutes here. So I want you to notice with me, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Now, Here's what I want you to do, folks. I want you to think about these verses for a moment. And what we're going to do is, is we're really going to break it down into two sections. Okay? Two more sections that we're going to look at. We're going to look at, first of all, what he's talking about in verse 1. And then we're going to look at what he's saying in verse 3. So let's, let's focus on verse 1. I've got three things I want to show you here from verse 1. If you look with me again, verse 1 says, Finally, brethren, we urge and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. I don't know, what's he talking about there, George? Abound more and more. Is he talking about love? Because that's what he was talking about earlier when he prayed for them. He, he said, I pray that you would abound more and more in love. Well, yes, in that instance, that's what he's talking about, abounding more and more. But here, he doesn't get specific about abounding more and more. He's actually talking about something different. What's he talking about, George? Well, when he talks about you abounding more and more, he's actually talking about you thriving. So here's my first point. We are called to thrive as believers. We are called to thrive as believers. Have you ever thought about that? You know, just this week when I, I was, was reading that, I was actually kind of blown away for a moment. I thought, I thought am, am I reading this? Because I don't know, why didn't I see this before? Because I've read through Thessalonians many times, especially have read through that portion of Scripture many times. And, and why, did, why didn't that, 
Why didn't I catch that? But that's really what he's talking about here. He's talking about you and I thriving. God wants you to thrive. Now, we've got different definitions about what it means to thrive because there's guys out there that'll tell you thriving means a bigger wallet and better health. That is not what it's talking about, folks. It's talking about you being who you were supposed to be. So we understand thrive. So for instance, we, you know, if you're a gardener, you, you put the plant in certain situations, maybe in the right soil with the right fertilizer and the right amount of moisture and the right sunlight so that it thrives, so that it becomes all that it's supposed to be. We do that with kids. You hear about kids being in certain circumstances and certain family situations and even in school so that they thrive. What is that? So that they become all that they're meant to be. This is really what he's talking about here. When he's talking about that he is urging you and I in the Lord Jesus that we abound more and more, he's talking about you and I thriving. Listen, this is what I'm trying to help you to understand. God wants you to thrive. That is so different from where a lot of us are at. Because if you were to look at where you are at right now in your walk with Jesus, you would say anything but that you were thriving. If anything, you would say, I'm defeated. If anything, you would say, I'm discouraged. If anything, I'm, I'm feeling like, does God love me? Does he care for me? How can I overcome this? Don't you know my failures? Don't you know what I did? If you knew what I did, you know, that all of that, I understand all of that. I've been there. You've been there. But that's not the point. The point is, he wants us to abound more and more. He wants us to thrive. That should be eye-opening to you. It was eye-opening to me. We say, well, George, how, how do we thrive? Well, I mean, he says it right here. Look, look with me, verse 1. Finally, then, brethren, we urge you and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. He's telling you how and I how to thrive. What is it, George? Well, here's the second point. The key to thriving is living to please God. The key to you and I thriving in our lives. So, okay, let's, let's stop for a moment. When we talk about our spiritual lives, quit thinking of that as me right now watching you on YouTube or Facebook or listening to your message, George. No, no, quit thinking of it that or me going to the service for one hour on a Sunday. Forget that. That... Your spiritual life is 24-7. 24 hours, seven days a week, all of you, the way you're living your life. And the key to thriving in that is living your life with a proper focus, and that proper focus is to please God. Because remember, <clears throat> before we've had a misguided focus where we believed 
that it was God's plan for us to pursue our earthly pursuits and achieve whatever in this world, and it, and it doesn't happen. Have you noticed that some people, even if they achieve it, they're not happy, they're not satisfied? We know that God didn't call us to that, did he? Jesus said, I've come that they may have life and have it more abundantly. I mean, a lot of us are like, where is this? Well, it's because our focus is misguided. See, the key to thriving, to abound more and more, is living to please God. That's really it, living to please God. Now, how do we know how to live, George? Because, well, you know, I've been to that kind of church, George, and, and I have two where they tell me everything to do. Don't go here, don't go there, don't do this, you know, and wear this and carry this and all of that. Isn't that, I mean, I've tried that. That just brought more defeat. Listen, I'm not talking about that. But listen to what Paul's saying here. Here's my third point. You have to learn how to please God. You have to learn how to please God. How do we learn how to please God? You learn how to please God from his word. Not what some preacher told you. From his word. That's why, let's be honest, that's why we are encouraging you to use a Bible reading guide so that you read his word and let God speak to you. And as you read his word, he speaks to you, his spirit speaks to you and says, this is the way you are to walk in. This is what you should be doing. That's far more powerful than do this, because I think you should do it. No, no, you have to learn how to please God from his word. Which then brings us to verse 2. Verse 2, my friends. And that's where we talk about learning to please. He tells us what we need to understand in order to learn to please. We see it in verse 2. For you know what commandments or instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. All right, did you catch that? Let me say that again. For you know what commandments, some translations will say instructions, we gave you, catch that last phrase, through the Lord Jesus. Now this is important. You need to understand it. Here it is. Here's the first point I want you to see about learning to please. The instructions for living come from the Lord Jesus. The instructions for living come from the Lord Jesus. So if you're there and you're thinking to yourself, Les, I want to thrive, George. I want to thrive in my walk with God. I want to thrive in my life spiritually as I'm living at 24-7. I want to thrive. How do I do that? Well, you realize that thriving and being all that you were meant to be as a believer comes from doing what Jesus said. Not what George says. Not what Pastor so-and-so from years ago says. Not what my grandmama said or my mama said. Not what this guy on TV said. Not what this guy in church said. Listen, it's what Jesus said. Because a lot of times, can I be honest with you, the confusion comes from, and I know it, I've lived it, 
when you try to live your Christian life and it's based on lies because you're carrying out something that somebody told you to do and Jesus never talked about it. And you notice that when you tried that, you weren't thriving. You were just defeated. See, if you and I are going to live to please God, we need to follow the instructions that Jesus gave you and I. That's what's so important here. Just doing what Jesus says. Now, the wonderful thing is, is that what follows after these two verses in chapter 4, as we get into the rest of chapter 4 and into chapter 5, Paul's going to give us those instructions. And they're going to cover several areas. So here's what I want you to notice, okay? Here's what I want you to notice. These constructions concern purity, love, hope, and practical living. Man, I can't think of anything that encompasses all of our lives. Purity. What kind of purity, George? Sexual purity. Right in the very next verse, verse 3, he's going to tell you what the will of God is. Very few times in the scripture does it flat out say that this is what God says you and I are to do, and it has to do with sexual purity. That's next week's message. But there's also the whole issue of love. Love, what do you mean love? Oh, I love Jesus. I'm not talking about just mouthing I love Jesus. I'm talking about you love Jesus and you love the church and you love other people. That's got to be expressed in reality and how you live your life. There are instructions concerning that. There are instructions concerning hope. What kind of hope? The hope for the future. Is we're, we're watching and witnessing all of this craziness that's happening in our world around us with a pandemic and a political situation and the tensions in the world and we're like oh is these are the days these are the days what are, we, what are we in the midst you know and we're like oh there's hope we're actually going to spend two weeks there but then he also tells us how do we live our practical lives every day to thrive isn't that what we want to do to thrive and the latter part of chapter 5 tells us that. Folks, God wants you and I to thrive. Think about that for a moment. But a lot of times, the path that we chose before because that's what we were told or that's what we assumed may not have been the way to do it. But I'm telling you that if he's going to tell us that he wants us to thrive, he's going to tell us how to thrive right here in his word. And we're going to let his word tell us how to thrive. So let me give you one closing thought, okay? One closing thought to wrap this all up for you to think about and for you to act on. Here it is. You have to be willing to thrive as a believer. It's up to you. You know, as a pastor, <clears throat> it is my desire that everybody in our church family thrives. That they would become all that God wants them to be. 
doesn't have anything to do with your social economic status, whether you have money or not, whether you have education or not. That really means nothing. But what matters is, is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you have given your life to Christ. He wants you to thrive. And it is my desire for you to thrive, for, for George to thrive. But here's the problem. I, as much as I desire that for everyone else, I can only do something about it for George. I can't do it for you. As much as I'd like to, I can't do it for you. First of all, it's difficult for me, but it's something I pursue with the Spirit of God in my life. But it's something you have to be willing to do. You have to be the one willing to follow his instructions and live your life to please him. And I pray that I would do that and that you would do that. And I am sure we will be amazed at what we will become individually and what we will become as a church. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for your love and for your grace and your mercy in our lives. And I thank you for really just this opportunity to pause a moment, to reflect upon the fact that, you know, I know in my life, Lord, I was misguided in my focus. I, I really thought that the things that I was pursuing that I wanted were necessarily the things that you wanted, but that's not that's not true. That's you're you don't focus that way. You're you're more concerned about who we are and what we're becoming and fulfilling what you have called us to do. You want us to thrive. You want me to thrive. And so I pray for myself and for our church family, for those who are watching that we would be willing to do that. That we would be willing to do what you have called us to do so that we can thrive. I can't even imagine what that would be like, Lord, to thrive spiritually. So often we've lived in defeat and despair for so long, we don't even know what it is. Show us. May your spirit help us to get there. So I pray this for myself and for each one. We ask this in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen.